the reason why everybody isn't walking around with six packs and awesome physiques is because they don't have the accountability to follow through and have that consistency to stay on track with the game plan. I'm Bill Small. And I'm Miles Hansen. Welcome to The Subtle Art of Not Yelling, a weekly podcast for creatives about the creative process. Learn how to finish what you start, ship your work, and build a business without being the loudest on the block. Less, Less noise, noise, more. <sighs> Today's guest is a successful entrepreneur, speaker, and coach. He's also an MMA fighter. Join us for a conversation with Ali, the Lebanese lion, Abuzalam. See, now I can't remember you and I met really briefly in a class that Miles did a couple of years ago. Yep, that's right. And I don't remember, had you, was, was fighter bodies started? Was that even a thing? Was that even a dream at that point? No, I didn't think so. Not even, not even yeah. on the radar, man. Not even an embryo. <laughs> so uh how did that happen man oh i mean i guess the short story of it is is it just like like a an idea just kind of planted in my head from the from the ether if you will i think it was just a culmination of a lot of things being being a fighter consistently training meeting a lot of people who are very interested in fighting but who, who don't train or necessarily have a lot of interest to train, but they love the sport and, you know, who, who doesn't want to be fit and have that, that level of level of athleticism and that type of physique. So a lot of those people have, it. and actually the, there was a catalyst for the idea being born. And that was, uh, I was doing in more of like a business slash accountability coaching type of program. It was very holistic. I just, I don't like the term life coaching um, called accountability ascension. And it was a grind. It was really tough to get people to invest in the program. I really believed in it and people got great results, but it's, uh, it's, it wasn't as like sexy to market. I was having, I was having trouble getting, getting clients. And, uh, but I knew that I loved coaching. I loved helping empower people. And I was always posting about, accountability ascension in my stories and then one day I was getting ready for a fight and I shared the process of my water cut and it's like I, I finished my second gallon for that day and I stepped on the scale and I was like showed the scales the first time I ever showed this and I was like check this out like I'm I'm 187 when I wake up tomorrow I'm gonna lose like six seven pounds and sure enough like I peed the process with sodium manipulation everything I peed like five times throughout the night and woke up and showed the scale and said 180. And then I proceeded to make weight all the way down to, uh, to 170 in the course of like two days, about 17 pounds. And I got like 40 messages of all these people just like, Whoa, dude, how did you do that? Like, tell me about this water cut. I need to lose 17 pounds, two days, blah, blah, blah. I was like, man, I'm always posting stuff, trying to get people's attention. And then this random thing gets me tons of messages. So that's kind of where the, the idea of, of fighter bodies came from was like people are really interested in that small piece of 
everything that it takes to be a fighter of the water cut. How could we kind of like market to that and create a, a program that, that helps people get their fighter body? Yeah, so it wasn't like your first foray into trying to market something or coach people or help people. How did you even get to doing stuff in that direction? You know, you had the that program before, you know, Accountability Ascension. Um, what, what made you even want to do that? Yeah, great question. I think a lot of it was I've always been into – uh, just personal development, becoming the best man you can be athletically, physically, spiritually, everything. And I was actually, it was a book that I got, like the idea of having an accountability partner with like a, a shared weekly database that you can put objectives on and, and check on each other. I got it from a book called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And I read it maybe like shortly after college, years ago, a while back. And I said, you know what? Like I should do that. And I had uh, my first job after college, my my first boss, we actually kind of started doing that together. And after I left that job, I missed it. And I, and I made a post on social media. Hey, I'm looking for some accountability partners to help me stay accountable to all sorts of goals at Mio Green. I had a bunch of people express their interest and I made a group uh, an accountability group that I stayed in. We all stayed in. It was four of us for two years. And I built this like Google spreadsheet and did it for everyone. And the impact that it had on their lives was, was huge. You know, one of the guys like quit his job, started his career. Another did like people were essentially following their dreams and uh, jumping into the fear of the unknown and really believing in themselves. And I was just like, man, like, and after we left, they all three of them told me like, dude, like that changed my life. It was so powerful, so impactful. I miss it. And that was kind of the idea of like, man, I should, I should do this. Like I should offer this to people. And uh, I think Miles was actually in one of like my, my beta test groups before I, I actually started um, uh, marketing it as, as a paid for service. And I, I did a couple beta test groups, ran those for free, just to exchange for like testimonials and feedback, and people were liking it. And I just got so much, uh, so much more out of helping empower people and and change their lives as opposed to what I previously did for eight years, and that was um, I was in the cannabis industry, I had a vaporizer company, and you know, selling products, and I guess you know, helping people in that way was cool. I, I had some of those stories of like, we love your products from medicinal to like, it helps me with my chronic pain to just like recreational to like, this is my favorite vaporizer ever. Uh, and that felt good, but it was nothing compared to how I feel when someone's like, dude, this, this changed my life. And this really, you know, brought confidence, got brought me all that. Well, you said you, I know Miles has questions, but you know, he talks to you more than I do. Uh, I know that you, uh, you said you had, an interest in personal development you always have. When did that start? I'm, I'm always fascinated to find out like when that starts for people and how they sort of begin their own journey uh, in personal development and trying to be better. How'd that start for you? Yeah. I'm not sure that there was a specific moment, but I think just a lot of what I 
consumed growing up as as a kid. My father, he came from he's Palestinian, was born in Lebanon, right next to a Palestinian refugee camp. So he grew up pretty rough. And my grandparents are, were Palestinian refugees. They evacuated after World War II, went over to Lebanon, and were just kind of like displaced. So I come from a very like macho, strong uh, culture on, on my father's side and my mother's side too, being Mexican. So from a very young age, like being physically strong was like a must. Um, all my uncles, cousins, like they had us, they would have us wrestle at a very young age and you know, who's the strongest? Are you strong? So naturally I gravitated to a lot of those things as a, as a kid, uh, anything from Bruce Lee to, you know, WWF, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, that kind of stuff to everything in between Street Fighter, Dragon Ball Z, you name it. And a lot of those like hero archetypes were not only very physically strong, but were also kind of on that path of trying to be the best you can be in all realms. You know, Bruce Lee having that, that Zen mindset being very, you know, the peaceful warrior kind of archetype, um, making a lot of, of money, being wealthy, being able to give back, help, help people. So I think a lot of what I consumed uh, from a very young age, always, I always envisioned myself as being kind of one of those guys, like a modern day uh, Ryu from Street Fighter, Goku, Dragon Ball Z, like really strong, capable, and just like a good, a good person who gives back. Dude, so I, I first of all, I love that answer because that's like such a, um, just a child like from when you were a child, like a very playful, uh, catalyst into what you do now. It's really cool. Um, but so I'm really excited to have you on because I've known you for a little bit now, and like I see you now. We talk like every day, and I see you as like this very masculine person who is very different from me in a lot of ways you're i mean you kind of just spoke to it like you're very disciplined uh at least from my perspective you are very disciplined you have a routine you're driven you're hardworking. you're strong you're fit as hell like you kind of embody that masculine side of things that in a lot of ways actually this like this podcast and kind of our vibe here is a little bit on the other side of the spectrum a little bit like more creativity and flow and like maybe a little more feminine and some of our listeners are feminine women uh, or feminine. And so, but one like huge um, epiphany we had early in the podcast was without structure, we just, it's an infinite flow of creative energy that doesn't get anywhere. So we created the box, a community, a product it's really cool to kind of like have something to work inside of specific details. And I think with fighter bodies, which is your newest business and something that I'm partaking in both as a client and as a partner, it's a different version of that same concept. So it's really cool because I, I mean, I literally am going through it again and it's not fucking easy. And I, almost got tears when I started doing it again because I was so fucking excited because I like love the structure and the a little bit of suffering and like what that brings. So it's really cool because I think two worlds are kind of clashing here and we're able to see and maybe discuss a little bit about that 
that structure and that container, the boxes that you work inside of, whether it's like mentally, physically, digitally, to kind of create that, um, the life that you want ultimately. I don't have a question or anything. I'm just rambling for fun. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I love that, man. And I would agree. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I really was so excited when we had this discussion of you being a part of fighter bodies, because I think that like, we are very different in a lot of ways. We're similar in a lot of ways too, but very, very different in our ways of being. And I think that together we can, we can just understand and kind of see the full picture of things a lot more effectively um, with our, you know, different viewpoints. Like every, every team discussion we have is very robust because we're just all very different people. And I think that makes a powerful team. Yeah. That's a good point. We do bring a lot of different angles to it where I'll kind of maybe fight you sometimes if we're, if I feel we're going down a path that feels like too, too structured or too, you know, um, too masculine, but then we just balance each other out that way, which is really cool. Um, one question I have is, you know, the spiritual side. So you're also very spiritual and I would say you're probably actually really feminine as well. Uh, it's just not as like tangible maybe. Um, Speak to like, what, what are some of your spiritual practices that you do? For sure. Yeah. I can, I can actually trace that back to a certain moment. Um, I was maybe five or six years old and my father was like, <clears throat> you know, your, your mom's side and your abuelita and your abuelito and all the Mexican people on, on uh, your Mexican side of the family are going to hell. Right. And I was like, what? Like, no way God would do that. Like, and he's like, yeah, cause they're not Muslim. And he was kind of like, he was kind of messing with me, but also a little bit serious of, of like, you know, being Muslim is the way like Islam is the path. So that ever since that moment, I had a deep curiosity for like, who is God? What is God? What is religion? What's the right religion? Because on my mom's side, on the Mexican side, my grandfather was super Catholic and like, in the in the Mexican neighborhoods like East Side San Antonio, every Easter we would go and they would do the reenactment of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, all in Spanish. Walking down, uh, there would be an actor playing Jesus, walking with his cross in the streets, and people coming out and like crying and reading uh, stuff from the Bible. And like, so I grew up around like these powerful cultures and religions, and was like, well, no way, everyone like my beautiful, wonderful grandma isn't going to go to hell. Like God would like, what, so what's right here? So from yeah, a very- Yeah, she would think your dad's going to go to hell, right? I mean, it's like yeah. they both think each other it's going to hell. <laughs> right, right. So I was like, all right, something's up. Like I got to get to the bottom of this. So from, I didn't really have the choice. Like my father was like, you guys, you guys are growing up Muslim, you know? So I, I partook in all like Islamic activities. Like even as a little kid in elementary school, and this kind of also speaks to the discipline and structure, like during Ramadan, I would remember being in the cafeteria being like, no, I'm not eating. Like I'm fasting, you know, like, and uh, I wouldn't do it every single day because, um, you know, I was really little, but I would partake in that, the prayers I wanted to learn, same thing with Christianity. And then as I got older, I realized like, you know, there's so much more getting into college and learning about Eastern traditions and meditation and Buddhism and, all this other stuff. So to bring it full circle, I'm, I think we all are always on this continuous 
path of, of, of seeking truth. You know, I don't think there's one universal truth that, that, uh, solves everything to this day. I'm still figuring out my, my own spirituality and, and practicing as much as I can. But I, I do practice a lot of different things. Like Ramadan is one of my favorite and least favorite times of year because it's, uh, you know, 30 days straight of no food or water from sunup to sundown. Um, extreme discipline, really living and feeling in solidarity with those who do experience hunger and thirst on a daily basis. Uh, but I also meditate. I also am open to going to churches. I've, I've been a guest at so many different churches, um, Catholic, Christian, even Pentecostal, where going up around and screaming. Um, I have a daily meditation practice that you know, I, I try and do every single day. Of course, there are some days that I miss, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty structured with that too. And uh, continuously just, just seeking truth, man, on that journey. Well, you asked, you already answered a question I think that I was going to ask, which, you know, Miles, of course, makes you sound like a, a robotic discipline machine. <laughs> um, and I, and I was going to, uh, you know, just kind of ask how that started. And it's, it's interesting the way you brought it all the way to childhood and some of the, you know, religious practices that wouldn't fit in probably with where you were going to school. So you'd have to really be dedicated to that, you know, and, and I could see how that would definitely set you on a path to be able to say, no, I'm going to do this and do it. Right. Which is so hard for so many people, as you probably know already. <laughs> um, but whenever anybody starts talking about meditation, I, I get really interested, like, what is your practice like and how did you come to it? Yeah. Uh, so now I actually, most of the time I'll, I'll listen to a guided meditation. It's called the Isha Kriya meditation by a guy named Sadhguru, who's, who's become very popular in, in kind of just like mainstream spirituality and self-help and stuff. Um, but I really like that. And I guess you could call it like transcendental meditation, like a part of it because he is saying a mantra. So on the inhalation, the thought is, uh, I am not the body. And on the exhalation, I am not even the mind. And uh, what that does is it, it, it really like, it really reminds you that you're so much more than, than your vessel, than your body, that this is a vehicle that you need to take care of. And and sometimes we can just be so identified with our, our body and our mind and the thoughts that we have. So it, it kind of takes off the pressure of like when you have maybe mean or unpleasant thoughts that you realize like that's not you, that's that's your mind. And, you know, you're simply just the observer and you can choose what to focus on. So that really helps me navigate in life. Um, so that's the, what I do every day. That's the first por portion of it is is that transcendental piece of I'm not the body, I'm not even that mind, saying that over and over uh, silently in your head uh, for about seven minutes and then there's some there's some chants some om chants so you're just like uh like really trying to get that sound of they call it the sound of creation coming from um your uh your more of like your gut and then he he does like a little singing at the end which funny enough i've been meaning to to look up what it means uh but i don't know what he's saying at the end i just kind of I just kind of go with, with what he's saying, but that's my current meditation practice. And what started it really was 
as I had mentioned earlier, I, I always wanted to emulate some of my heroes growing up. Um, the Bruce Lees, the, you know, the Mr. Miyagi's, a lot of those like more, more of Asian traditions that had a lot of meditative masters just meditating who are also very good at martial arts. So that was, that was one thing. And then another piece was uh, getting diagnosed by a doctor with, with ADHD and getting prescribed uh, Adderall. And I was taking that prescription for years off and on, kind of knew like, okay, obviously this helps me focus and get more done, but there's, there's a cost to it. It, it I say that like it kind of dehumanized me. It strengthened certain addictions that I had for things that weren't great tobacco, uh, porn, um, coffee. Like it just made me very like stimulated. And I was like, I need, I need to eventually get off of this. So I was looking for alternatives and meditation was one of those things that, that eventually helped me stop, um, taking Adderall and, help me focus my brain and not be so scatterbrained all the time. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, how did you start your martial arts journey? So that started, uh, like the true start of it was pretty early on as a kid, all of those video games and stuff that I would play, I, I wanted to practice in real life. So there was one particular video game called Tekken. And there's a really popular character in Tekken. His name's Eddie Gordo. And he's a, he's a Brazilian character. And he does this awesome, like, dance fighting. And he'll, like, do a handstand, <laughs> right. splits, and, like, yeah. twist and kick you and all this crazy stuff. And as a kid, I always thought that is the coolest fucking martial art I've ever seen. Like, I need to learn that. So that was, like, the first – it's not even a very traditional martial art, but I would say, like, traditional martial art that I – that I consistently practiced as a kid. We found a place that did capoeira and I did that in middle school. Um, and I remember for like one of the belt ceremonies, they flew in all these mestres, like the grand masters from Brazil and they were badass. Like some, one of them was like, you did, you wouldn't think he could do all these crazy moves. He kind of had a gut, but then he was like out there break dancing, handstand splits, <laughs> like all this stuff. Like, Whoa, these guys are really cool. So it did a little bit of like, um, couple classes of just like boxing, karate stuff, nothing very serious until high school wrestling. And that's when it really became like uh, a thing. I fell in love with the sport, um, became captain of my wrestling team senior year um, and, and really excelled there. And that's kind of that's kind of where the journey began. Didn't do as much. I I messed around a little bit with the club team in college, but I was more interested in fraternity life and girls and stuff like that. And uh, after graduating, I dabbled a little bit in jujitsu, but never signed up at, at, at a gym because I was just so busy with career. Felt like I didn't have time. I needed to grow my business. And then just came a point to where I just, I really missed it and started training full time. Um, 2017 in Fort Collins trials MMA and then the rest is, is history. I haven't missed more than more than a week of training since 2017. That's wild. Yeah. yeah, and you just came off of two three wins? Like yeah. back to back. Yep. Yep. On That's a winning awesome. streak, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a what going. a feeling. What a thing to do. Like so few people can say they've gotten in the ring 
multiple times with people that are like killers, so to speak. Like they're in there to kick your ass and so are you. I mean, that's like so unique. Um, I respect the shit out of you guys too because I just did my first class, as I told you, of uh, jujitsu. And it was just like a you know beginner, like even just the warm-up alone kicked my ass, let alone actually working with a partner and grappling and just all the little things are so nuanced and so complex with the weight distribution and the strength and the leverage that you're trying to find. I mean, it is people need to like at, at least just do one class to understand how hard it actually is. Yeah. And beautiful. It's awesome what you can do. I love that you went to a class so you can, you know, have have more of an understanding of especially jujitsu. That is that is an endless art. You can spend a lifetime mm-hmm. training jujitsu and you'll you'll never know all of it. Um it's insane. It, yeah. I love it. Dude. Um, so I uh I have a lot of questions. Like there's, you know, looking at your timeline, you've got B nails, like you 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 got into that. Um, you've got your podcast that you had. I have some questions around that. You've got a men's group now uh, that you just started. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, but I guess let's start with B nails. So let's go kind of back to the beginning. What, what got? So that's that's at the beginning when you're kind of, I'm assuming like contemplating becoming an entrepreneur and starting a business because that was probably your first big thing. What got you into that? Explain like what that even is. Yeah. Um, so B Nails is a uh, cannabis vaporizer company that me and two business partners started back in 2015, in June 2015. And really what got me interested in that was uh, was just a dream to be an entrepreneur, to be a business owner, to be a business mogul, really. Like I've always envisioned myself having millions and millions of dollars. Quite frankly, I thought I'd be a multi-multi-millionaire by now with my vision. I'm not. <laughs> um, but I always thought by like, oh, by the time I'm 30, and I thought I'd have kids by now and all this stuff. I'm not. I don't. But um, I always knew that I wanted to, to be a business owner and work for myself. A lot of people in my family are entrepreneurs. And when cannabis was first legalizing, I just saw that as a very unique opportunity that was going to be a multi-billion dollar industry, potentially multi-trillion that I thought maybe not a lot of highly intelligent people would get into right away. So I thought that maybe I could have a competitive edge. Um, I was extremely nervous because I was working in a very corporate Texas oil and gas uh, industry at the time. And I was like, man, if I make this move, it's going to be hard to, to come back, you know, as, to get back into oil and gas as a fallback if people see like, oh, this dude was in cannabis. Because, you know, believe it or not, at that time, I feel like it's normalized so much over the past decade. But before legalization, cannabis was pretty like, oh, you, like, you didn't really talk about it. And I remember just feeling very scared uh, that all of my peers, because my primary network at the time was, was, you know, Texas oil and gas people. And, um, I, I took the risk. I I had a friend hit me up. I I knew that I wanted to get to Colorado in some way, somehow I, I changed the background to my phone to the Colorado mountains. I was like, I just need to be over there, 
be around the industry starting. I'll make connections. Somehow it'll happen. And so I bothered the, I was working for a company called Orange Energy at the time, Orange Energy Corporation. And I was, I was, uh, I was like a young coming up, like killer in the company, doing really good work, very outgoing, very social, uh, employee of the month kind of guy, like always talking to everybody. And we had a Colorado office and I told the CEO like, Hey man, you want help blowing up that Colorado office? I'm your guy, you know, send me up there. I'm young, I'm hungry, I'll make connections, blah, blah. And I kept just like kind of bugging him about it. And then finally one day he's like, Ali, come to my office. I was like, oh shit, what's going on? He's like, you want to go to Colorado? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, we're going to send you up there, start looking for an apartment, blah, blah, blah. I was like, holy shit. So I remember he sent me up there and he's like, for like three days and I was looking around and I went to my first dispensary. I was like, oh my God, I bought legal weed. I was like, this is insane. Just like enjoying it up, you know, 23, I think at the time. So I was just like young, just like, it, it was a dream. You know, I was like, holy shit, he's moving me up here. And, uh, and I did, I had my, my own little office on 16th street mall, like downtown Denver, badass office, own spot in the parking garage. So I felt like king of the world, but I was so busy with my oil and gas work that I didn't really do shit about like getting in the cannabis industry for, for like a year. I went to like one meetup. Um, but we worked a lot and it was also while I was on my Adderall prescription. So I would like just work for hours, hours, hours in my office. And, uh, and that was about it. I would go to the gym work. Then I get a call one day from a kid that I went to high school with. He was actually on my wrestling team. He's like, Hey man, heard you move, saw you move to Colorado. Like, that's awesome. I'm up in Fort Collins. Uh, I know you're a business guy and I have this idea that I'd like your, uh, your two cents on it's it's a cannabis industry thing and i was like hmm like what's the idea and he goes it's a way to dab without a torch and for any listeners that might be listening that don't know what dabbing is dabbing is is con- essentially consuming cannabis concentrates and uh at that time it, it took me back to college a moment in college i was at this fraternity house and there was a, a pledge a younger guy he had a, a butane blowtorch and he was like, <sighs> heating up this like, it's called a nail, this thing. And I thought he was doing like some hard drugs or something. I was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing with that? And uh, he's like, dude, Ali, you want a dab? And I was like, fuck no, I don't want whatever that is. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, <laughs> it's just weed, bro. Like when you smoke weed, it's like you're drinking a beer. This is like liquor of cannabis. This is concentrated. And that analogy always stuck with me. So fast forward back to the, the present conversation with, with the kid from high school. He's like, it's a way to dab without the torch. Light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, okay, if you can make that process a little bit less crackheady, then <laughs> that sounds like it has potential. Um, yeah, so you're not like, uh, you know, a famous 70s comedian burning your head, you know, because you're trying to dab. You know, you're not lighting <laughs> yourself on fire or anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so he uh, he showed me the the products that, that we sold at B Nails, which which were called Electric Nails, E Nails, and we tried to make the the name synonymous with the product, kind of like tissue and the brand Kleenex. Um, we're like B Nails, everyone's going to call these B Nails. Like we're the first ones out, and and that's really what what made us successful is be just really just kind of being the one of the first to market. Like not a lot of people at the time were selling those types of products, and uh, that's where we started. Damn. 
What a cool, like you manifested a lot of it. Like you had the direction and you, and you also had the connections, which is something you're good at. Like you're, you're, you know, outgoing and confident. So people, so he reached out to you, you saw the opportunity and then there was a gap to fill. It's really cool to see how that played out. I didn't know a lot of that. I didn't know that's why it was called B-Nails either. Yeah. That's cool. Um, speaking of like your confidence really quick, I, I'm curious, have, have you always been, I'm assuming we, we ask all our guests, are you introverted or extroverted? I'm assuming you would answer fairly extroverted. Is that right? Uh, not my whole life. Actually, I was actually a really shy kid growing up. Um, being, I grew up in a predominantly like white kind of wealthy neighborhood being, you know, a darker kid, last name of Boozalam. Um, I felt just kind of different, you know, the kid who was fasting, like not a lot of Muslims, um, not even a lot of Hispanics. So I was a very shy kid. And I think, uh, I think what really made me come out of my shell was when my parents got a divorce, when I was in um, the sixth grade, then I started becoming a really bad kid and like acting out. And like, I was always like on a roll straight A's. And then after the divorce, I think like, whatever like i was trying to get attention or whatever it was started being really bad and then we started moving so i went to three different middle schools sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade so i had to like you know make friends i had to engage i had to be social and that's kind of what developed the the extrovertedness of who i am today but originally i was super shy man i remember being a really shy kid when growing up that's interesting how you that that kind of forced you to yeah, you had to make friends. You had to be outgoing. And then you also, you've, you've mentioned like Toastmasters um, and stuff like that where you do like public speaking. That's always been uh, a strength of yours, I think. How do you, yeah. how do you like ma- maintain that today? Because for me, like that's one of my biggest fears still is like I am more on the shy side and um, don't love public speaking. Like, how did you get over that hurdle? I mean, Miles is scared shitless right now. I'm <laughs> pissing my pants. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good question. I think it was a combination of a lot of things. First, like the desire. You know, a lot of people don't care to be a good public speaker, don't want that. But I realized that a lot of the most successful men and CEOs and people running companies weren't always necessarily the smartest but they were some of the best speakers, the most social building connections. So I understood that at a pretty early age and Toastmasters was a huge part of it. I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that was a huge development to, uh, to my success as a business owner. And just as a, as a, as a communicator, I was introduced to Toastmasters by a friend of mine, uh, who's now a monk, a Catholic monk, very interesting guy. Um, and he, told me about it. He's like, dude, like, this is where you sharpen your skills. This is how we're, we're going to become CEOs. I got to graduate college. So I joined a Toastmasters club in college. And uh, I always had a, a, I had a little bit of like a natural ability to, to speak and stuff. And it was I saw it as like training, like once a week, I'm training, giving up getting a, either giving a speech or they have something called table topics, which works on your impromptu skills just off the cuff speaking. So they'll be like, all right, Bill, Come up and tell us about your favorite summer story and try to use the vocabulary word of the day 
raconteur or like something random, you know? And then <laughs> right. you're just like, go uh, and like try to speak for at least one minute. And you're like, all right, my favorite summer memory, you know, and, and you just go. So uh, I was in that for seven years and was very consistent. I was president of multiple clubs. I ended up becoming like an area director. I was like in Toastmasters deeply. And I looked at it as training. So that was a big development, but also I would say social media, you know, even to this day when I'm making a post or creating content or creating a story, I looked at as like, that's a rep, that's training. You're speaking to an audience. You are honing your skill of speaking. Same thing with podcasts, right? I did, I think it was like 160 episodes before I got out of the On Purpose podcast. And I looked at that as the same thing. You know, it's not like you're getting in front of an audience, but it's still as you guys know, like you still get the nerves, you still get. So I've always been like when, when Snapchat first came out, I, I feel like that was kind of the first like story type of, um, app. And I would feel nervous and like, Oh, that's stupid. Like, you know, no one wants. And when I would feel that fear, I knew that that there was growth there. I don't know where I understood that, but kind of like with fighting too, of like, anytime I would feel fear, okay, why am I feeling this? This is an area where I need to grow public speaking, anything. So I would feel fear and then I would know like, okay, I need to do more of this. So then I would post all the time on Snapchat. I was always posting stories to this day. I'm always like, I try to share a piece of content every day, even when I don't feel like it, just because I believe that that, that, that makes you more effective. It's, it's honing a skill. It's crafting a skill. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a big piece. Yeah, that's awesome. Now it all starts to make sense. Like that, that Toastmasters piece, I think I needed that piece. <laughs> that makes yeah. a lot of sense, man. Just, just getting, especially seven years of that, that amount of repetition of standing up in front of people, you know, and, and doing the deal, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's, it's a great organization. You guys already know this because you're, you're in it. But the first time I heard about fighter bodies was because Miles was going through it. And uh, that was fun to watch. Um, And I know that, you know, you're, I'm interested to see like where it is now. So you kind of gave me an idea of how you got the idea, right? People, you were doing your thing and you shared a little bit of it. And I do want to, you got to remind me, I want to come back to that whole water cut thing. but. you were doing your thing. Clearly it resonated with people, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's a huge category, if you will, out there that people are always looking for is health and wellness and fitness. Um, Then you had this idea for fighter bodies. You started it. You somehow talked miles into doing it. Um, Where is the business now? And where do you see it? Where are you trying to take it? Yeah, great question and perfect timing because we, we actually just uh, just kind of decided, um, you know, a ten year target, and that is to help one million people keep fighting. That's that's our tagline is to keep fighting, and you know, a lot of it is it, it's a fight to get your fighter body. It's it's mental fight, physical fight, emotional fight, and that's where we want to take it is to impact one million lives. Um, essentially key fighting means to do one of our programs and our core focus is, is really, um, helping people to keep fighting and, and that one-on-one coaching piece. 
of like having somebody in your corner to help you every step of the way because most of us all know what to do and if we don't you got chat gpt youtube tiktok you can go get a, a great diet and a great workout plan but the reason why everybody isn't walking around with six packs and awesome physiques is because they don't have the accountability to follow through and have that consistency to stay on track with the game plans i mean it's the reason why every single champion of every single sport has a coach in their corner or multiple coaches in their corner. Yeah, they may be extremely talented and, and have this great strength, but they would be nowhere without their coach or their co coaches. Everybody has that. So bringing that to your everyday fight fan can really help people achieve, finally achieve the goals that they want to have when it comes to, to their body and their fitness. Um, so yeah, we, we've come a long way. We've had, uh, we're coming up on our, on our 30th client. It's definitely more of a, it's not just like a cookie cutter program. Everything is custom to you, custom to your food preferences, custom to your workout preferences, even custom to your mindset. You know, we have two coaches right now, myself and uh, and a good friend of mine, female professional MMA fighter. Her name is Kelsey um, out of Colorado, and she she works with most of our female clients. And it's uh, it's definitely a full time job because to go on a journey, you know, 12 to 16 week journey day in, day out and have this extreme accountability where you have to check in every single day, um, weekly check ins on Zoom, daily text check ins. It, uh, it, it, it takes its toll. I tell everyone that comes through it like this is like a fight camp. When you see a UFC fighter or a boxer or anything looking shredded to the gills, looking amazing, stepping into that cage or that ring, they don't keep that level of fitness year round. It's just for that fight, and they go through a camp that gets them there. But each camp that you go through is going to raise the bar for your new normal. You're going you're gonna to gain so much through that camp, and when you come out of it, you don't have to stay sustainable at that level of execution all year round. It's just for that 12 weeks, and that's how we kind of keep people in the game. Of like, Remember, you're in fight camp. You're not going to have to be this strict and this super disciplined all year round. But let's make it happen for these 12 weeks because by the end, you're going to have your fighter body and you're going to feel great and love it. And I want to speak a little bit to like the, the outcome of that because I'm going through it again. So clearly I loved it. Um, and I think a lot of people just need that container. You know, accountability, the word's thrown around a lot, but it, it truly is like, the difference. I know what to do. I, I used to be, you know, I used to be in the gym twice a day in college. Like I was obsessed. So I know how to work out. I know how to eat right. I know how to, you know, control my mindset, all the things, but doing it consistently is the challenge. Just like you said, Ali. So when you're inside of this container, you know, basically you don't have a choice. And when you don't have a choice, things just become so much easier because you don't have to like go through all these uh, conversations with yourself on whether or not you should go run, even though you're fucking tired. I know that I need to check that box in the accountability sheet. And I don't want to show up to my call with Ali and disappoint him. So I fucking do it. I mean, I'm on the first week of the second round. And so far, I've done everything. And it's so much easier this time around. So, the, so like you're sprinting and you're fighting for 12 to 16 weeks. But you come away with like new tools, new grooves in your brain about how to live your life and make decisions and 
go through a little bit of suffering because on the other side of that is fucking the most amazing parts of life. Um, anyway, I, I could rant, just rant, go on a rant about it and I won't, but it is so cool um, to have gone through it. And I think that everyone should have, just like you said, someone in their corner because I mean, I, I told you, Ali, like if I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to be fat, unhappy, and broke. <laughs> yeah. and like that's, it's just kind of reality with the way the world is today and the way I am. Well, I like that you said new grooves in your brain because I can totally hear by the way you guys are talking about it that, I mean, if you, when you get through that 12 weeks, most people have probably done something that they didn't know they could do. And that alone like opens up this whole world of, Oh, I can do that. You know? And, yeah. and then you get this whole other level of trust in yourself that, Oh, I can do that. Where we let our, especially around fitness, we let ourselves down over and over again, you know, Oh, I'm going to start this new routine. You do it for two weeks and then you stop. And then you have another one and you do that and you stop. And it's your, so a lot of people are just in this cycle of self-disappointment over and over again. And it sounds to me like fighter bodies is really a chance to break that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you worded that. It definitely, it, it definitely is. And I think also too, like, I feel that our society has kind of been craving a little bit more of a masculine container like that for your everyday guy who doesn't actually fight, you know, especially today where there's almost like this attack on, on, on masculinity and, you know, the term toxic masculinity gets thrown around and just a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of, uh, a lot of rules set upon us, like, you know, COVID stuff, stay in your house, put on a mask, shut up. Like, don't, don't, unleash that inner warrior and i feel like a container people really crave this you know it's not like a like a beach body or weight watchers like it's not this uh clean cut program it's rough it's dirty it's 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 fighter type-esque and i i feel like a lot of people um have really been craving that in our world today because there's not there's not too much of that out there well it's also an outlet for that you know i mean look just uh, everybody, and I mean everybody, male or female, has a little of that in them, if not a lot of that in them. And I would, I would go so far as to say, you know, oftentimes that term toxic masculinity or things that show up that way show up that way because that person had no outlet. You know, they did not have a way to channel uh, the emotions, the feelings, the natural sort of whether we like it or not, humans can be relatively aggressive at times. <laughs> you know, they had no way to channel that in in a positive way and in a way that's not going to hurt anybody um, so that they could make themselves better and learn how to deal with um, those emotions and those feelings and, and that stuff. So it, it sounds like it's a great way to manage that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. A lot of that, the ugliness that we see, uh, uh, ugly violence, you know, whether that's um, 
robbery or or rape or, or any of these ugly forms of violence, I think, are absolutely that of just people, mainly men, that haven't had an, an outlet to express some of that innate uh, aggression that we all have, you know, as, as human beings. You know, I mean, I, I, I feel like I got drawn to martial arts as a kid the same way you did, you know, whether it was Bruce Lee movies or Chuck Norris or like the old, uh, uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in New Jersey and, you know, we didn't have cable, but we had these two stations that would play like really bizarre movies all day on Saturday and Sunday. So they'd play all these like Chinese martial arts movies that were overdubbed. And I loved them. They were amazing. They were fantastic, you know? And I wanted to be able to do what those guys could do. And I think most of the time, especially as a young person, when you start to explore that world, you know, that is not a world where unchecked aggression is okay. Yeah, 100%. And you're going to get in there and get worked so hard that you're too tired to be aggressive. So <laughs> yeah, learning that at an early age is really great. So um, having this as a way for maybe people who didn't get to do that when they were kids um, or maybe didn't get to um, – you know, sometimes other sports can do that for people, you know, um, I, mean, I I just think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you're absolutely right. Like there's your aggression is going to get checked in a martial arts gym. And that's what's so beautiful <laughs> about it. Is it's extremely humbling. Any martial art is extremely humbling. Anyone that you see that's a black belt is really good. Got their ass whooped thousands of times got submitted got choked lost in front of people you can't get good without getting humbled over and over and over again um yeah so yeah I, I think it's great and i think everyone should should try it at least like i'm so glad to hear that, that miles finally uh checked out a class i know that's been on his list for a while and and he got he got it's intimidating to get in there but you just got to do it and then once you're in there there are some of the nicest people like they, um, paired, you know, I got paired with this guy who's bigger than me, believe it or not, like taller than probably my height, but bigger wow. and uh, a little older and just been doing it for probably a year or two. And he was just the nicest, but also extremely dangerous <laughs> man. <laughs> and uh, it was really fun. Like he was very inviting. Like they all want you to come back. It's, it's, it's such a cool community. Um that yeah it, it's a great outlet for 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 men especially but i think like i was trying to get tosh in there i think every woman should do some version of that as well um the the guy that i was wrestling he's so funny you could tell he like used to be this kind of hot head like uh add stressed out anxiety kind of guy and he said that like when he's down someone's on top of him kind of smothering him like he embraces it and he'll actually like sit in it a little bit longer because he starts to panic. And when he panics, he has an opportunity to like use his breath through his nose, not through his mouth. You know, he's like training himself, training his nervous system to like chill out. Mm. And he was so excited about that. <laughs> it's the little random. Like, That's cool. Yeah. And so I don't know. I guess it's just such a cool way to like practice, you know, chilling out. Letting the mind get out of the way, practicing your breath. It's pretty cool. 
Well, I think you already said it, Ali, because it's, uh, you know, you said the goal for fighter bodies. Um, But from here, from where you are right now, and maybe it's only fighter bodies, maybe it's more than that. What's next? Yeah. Well, I mean, what's immediately next is I I turned 32 this year, so I ain't no spring chicken anymore. And as a fighter, I want to take this as as far as I can take it and shoot for the, for the highest goal achievable. So uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to become a professional. The goal is here by the end of the year, just God willing that I can uh, win this next fight. I'm booked for September 23rd have a conversation with my coach, maybe have one, one or two more really, really tough amateur fights and then go pro because when you go pro, your amateur record doesn't really matter anymore. Then you have a new record as a pro. And for you to get a shot at the UFC or any big promotion, you need to have a great pro record. Ideally, you go like 5-0, and 6-0, and and then you get a shot at what's called the, the UFC Contender Series. And if you win there, you could potentially get a contract with the UFC, which is the biggest MMA organization in the world. Uh, my coach, Billy Quarantillo, is, is currently a UFC fighter. So he's at, he's at the top of the top. You know, he gets interviewed by Joe Rogan, post-fight interview. Um, he's there with Dana White weighing in. So that's kind of immediately next for me, uh, aside with fighter bodies. I also want fighter bodies to be a huge way to give back to up-and-coming fighters. We have a vision to bring on coaches uh, who can coach part-time while they're chasing their careers because it's tough. You have to train so much, and as an amateur, you don't get paid. And even when you become pro, uh, very little payments with with the uh, smaller pro promotions before you get to the UFC. So, giving back to the, those UFC fighters and really continuing to uh, to empower and inspire in any way that I can. We didn't get to talk too much about it, but just launched a, a new men's group called the Empowered Men's Alliance. Uh, definitely was inspired by by Miles on that because he, we had a men's group that he ran, um, sovereign men's group a few years ago. And I, I missed some of that. I missed some community outside of just, you know, martial arts. Like I'm so close with these guys. We beat the shit out of each other every day, but we don't really get an opportunity to really have deep conversations and learn more about each other's lives outside of, of the gym. So that's been really nice. And, uh, you know, continuing, continuing to follow the path of that hero archetype, seeking truth, winning fights, impacting lives, growing fighter bodies, and just keeping on, keep fighting, keep fighting the good fight. So if somebody uh, wants to find out more about fighter bodies or more about uh, the men's group or anything else that you might be up to, where do you want them to find you? Yeah, so when it comes to Fighter Bodies, Miles has built us a beautiful website, fighterbodies.com. You can learn a lot more about Fighter Bodies there. And then for me, I'm, I'm very active on my social media. So um, my handles are just at Ali Abuzalam for Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Instagram is probably where, where I spend most of my time sharing posts, story posts, things like that. Um, Ali Abuzalam. Awesome. Man, thank you so much. Thank you guys. Had a great time. This was awesome. The world is overwhelming. We're constantly being pulled in a million directions and it's only going to get worse. So much of what we're sold online is about planning, strategizing, and thinking. But doing is the hardest and most important part. 
The box is where projects get finished. In the box, you'll organize, prioritize your projects, and finish what you start. You won't learn anything new. You'll simply get a lot done and be a part of a small community of doers. Go to theboxworkshop.com. Thanks for listening today. We can't do this without the support of our listeners. So please leave us a review or sign up for our newsletter at subtleartofnotyelling.com.